Hey, what's going on, guys? This is a Brother Dale of Gospel Repentance Ministries. Grace and peace to you all. And hope your new year has been blessed up to this point. It is January the 7th, 2024. And it seems like the older I get, and some of you, probably a lot of you may be able to relate, the quicker time goes. Time is running out on us all, folks. Better be sure and know who and what you believe because it does matter. And you want to know that before you slip into eternity, before you take your last breath. Know who you believe and why you believe and who you believe. Amen. So without further ado, what I want to discuss in this brief time is the idea of um, we're going to talk about the Trinity. We're going to talk about the Trinity and because the Trinity is very important because it describes for us the nature of our God, of the Godhead. And Trinity, of course, is a compound word, tri meaning three, and then the other part comes from unity, so we have a three-in-one dynamic going on here. And we, as um, Christians, as born-again believers, we believe and we know that the Bible teaches that our God is a triune being, meaning that God is one in essence, but three in person. Let me say that again. God is a trinity. He is a triune being. He is one in essence. In other words, we worship one God, but he has, but he is also three in person. One in essence, three in person. Now, immediately, when I say that, some of you that may be listening may say, well, okay, well, actually, you guys, you're Christians, because you say that God is trying, you're worshiping three gods. And if that's the case, then that would make us what they call a, I don't know exactly how to pronounce this word. Some people may pronounce it tritheist or a tritheist, meaning that that's a person who worships three gods. Once again, tri means three, and then the Theist part comes from the Greek word theos, which means God. So a, a, a triceist or a triceist is a person who worships three gods. Also a person who, I mean, another word that you would use for a person who worships multiple gods would be a polytheist. That means someone who worships two or more gods. But no, we as Bible believing Christians are what we are monotheists. Mono meaning one. And once again, uh, theism coming from the Greek word theos, which means God. So we, we worship one God. We are monotheists. We practice monotheism. All right. We're not, if we're not, we're not practicing tritheism or we're not practicing polytheism either. All right. As a matter of fact, in the um, in the beginning, 
The first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter one, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That word God is the word Elohim, El meaning God. And then the I am represents a plural. Our God is plural, as as I just mentioned to you, in person, but one in essence. Yes, it is mysterious. Yes, it is. We cannot. And, and I say this with all gravity. We cannot and never will be able to, as finite human beings, totally grasp and understand the triunity of our God. It is a mystery. It is a, but it is a wonderful truth, but it's something that transcends the human mind. We'll never fully understand it. We have to receive it by faith. If we're going to believe the word of God, we have to believe all of the word of God, ladies and gentlemen, even the parts that don't completely make sense sense to us where our minds cannot completely digest or computate it. I mean, if that makes sense. So there are some things that go beyond our just our natural resources and our natural capacity to understand. And the triunity, the triunity of God is one of those things. There's nothing you can compare it to. I mean, in times past, we try to compare the uh, try to compare the Trinity to like an egg. You know, you got the skin, you got the you got the yolk. And you got this other part or you got or an apple, you got the seed, you got the skin and you got the meat of the apple. I mean, you can't compare God to any type of human type of ingenuity or any type of um, object. It's just it's just impossible to do that. We simply have to receive this truth by faith. And even if we don't receive it, doesn't make it any less true. All right. So what I want to also discuss is, well, there are parts in the Bible where the Trinity is clearly evident. And one of the places I want to go to is Matthew's gospel. When Jesus is being baptized by John the Baptist in the river Jordan. All right. So let's go to Matthew chapter three. This is during his baptism, and it's clearly evident that the Godhead is present at his baptism. So here we go. So we're going to go to Matthew's gospel, chapter three. And let's start with verse number 13. It says, then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you and you're coming to me. Verse 15, but Jesus answered and said to him, permit it to be so now for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. And when he had baptized Jesus, and when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water and behold, the heavens were open to him. And he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son and whom I am well pleased. Okay. I just read to you, Matthew chapter three, start with verse 13, all the way through verse number 17. Now in this event, the Trinity is clearly evident. The son, Jesus, the spirit, 
that lights upon him like a dove, and then the voice, which is the Father, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So clearly the Trinity is evident there. These are not three uh, different modes, and we'll talk, and I'll talk about that whole mold thing in a minute, but three individual persons. The Godhead, the triunity is evident or is um, present at the baptism of Jesus Christ. All right. So that is uh, one instance. I didn't. That's one. Let's go back to the book of Genesis, as a matter of fact. And it says, and I'm going to I'm going to combine Genesis chapter one with a um, also with Colossians when I um, I'm going to travel there next. It says in the beginning, God, remember, I said the word God here is Elohim created the heavens and the earth. Earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep. And this is verse two of Genesis chapter one. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And I'll stop right there. Okay. So Genesis chapter one says God. And like I said, the word God is Elohim, which is, which indicates a plurality. And then we're going to travel over to Colossians chapter number. I believe it's chapter one. If it's not chapter one, then it's chapter two. Let me see. Let's see. Colossians. Keep going, keep going. All right, Colossians chapter one. Let's look at verse number 15. It says, he is the image of the invisible God. We're talking about Jesus Christ here. The firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him, all things consist or are held together. He is the head of the body, the church who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. So here specifically, Paul, the apostle writing to the church at Colossae indicates that Jesus Christ is the creator of heaven and earth. What does that actually mean? He is the creator of the universe. He's the creator of all things. He's the creator of the universe and he's the creator of us. He created us. Without him, we're not here. So that clearly indicates that Jesus is God. All right. Let's go to John's gospel. Chapter one. John's gospel, chapter one. Start with verse one. It says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. And it's talking about when it's talking about the word it's talking about Jesus. All right. Let's see. Let's keep going. Verse six. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came to bear witness. Came for witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. 
let's uh, see, do I need to skip down? Yeah, let me skip down to verse 14 of John chapter one, John's gospel chapter one. It says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth, obviously talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. And another verse that comes to mind regarding Jesus as creator, which would obviously clearly, you know, clearly let us know that he is God. Let's go to the book of Revelation. Let's go to the book of Revelation. Uh, let's see. Book of Revelation. We're going to look at. Let me see. Is it chapter four? I thought it was chapter one. Let's see if it's chapter four of Revelation. Bear with me a second. And yeah, Revelation chapter four. And it's talking about the Lord. It's talking about Jesus. It says, For you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. That's Revelation chapter four, verse number 11. Now, in case a person is wondering if the Holy Spirit is God, there's another passage of scripture I need to go to, and that's in the book of Acts. The book of Acts, and we're going to go to chapter 5. This is the whole thing with uh, Peter and Ananias and Sapphira. I'm going to start with verse 1, Acts chapter 5. says, But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession. All right. And he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? Listen to this. You have not lied to men, but to God. And that verse in particular is Acts chapter five, verse four. First, in, in verse three, Peter said to Ananias, "You have, I mean, why did he said, why did you lie to the Holy Spirit?" And then in verse four, he says, "You have not lied to men, but to God." And of course, if you know the story, it says that after Ananias heard these words, he fell down and, and he died. So there is a clear indication that. Obviously, the Father is God. Jesus is God. And the Holy Spirit is God. And in case you are not convinced about Jesus being God, let's go to Hebrews chapter 1. This one just came to mind. Praise God. I'm going to read this one. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time, passed to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things. Through him he also made the worlds. There it, there it is again. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Verse 5, for, which, for to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you? And again, I will be 
to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Verse 6, but when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he says, who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. But to the son, he says, now this is the father talking to the son. Listen to this. Verse 8, Hebrews chapter 1. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. So here is a clear indication, unless you simply want to play dumb and act like this is not what it's saying, that God the Father calls his son God, which, what does that tell us? That they have, they're co-equal, they're co-eternal, they're, they, and, they have, and they also have co-power, if I could say it that way. So the Father calls the son God, Peter, in, in Acts chapter 5, in speaking and indicting, Ananias says, you have not lied to men, but you've lied to God. In the previous verse of Acts chapter 5, verse 3, says you've lied to the Holy Spirit. So Peter's not making a distinction between, I mean, he's basically saying that Holy Spirit is God, just like Jesus is God, just like the, just like the Father is God. Folks, what am I proving here by the scripture, by the text? is that God is a trinity. I'll say it again. One essence, one in essence, three in person. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Praise God. I got another passage of scripture I need to give to you. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 28, the last chapter in the book, verse 19. We'll start with verse 18. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, this is, this is after, this is post-resurrection. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of who? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. That's Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. Jesus is saying that you're going to baptize in the name of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All right. Hopefully that least whets your appetite to be a Berean. According to Acts chapter 17, verse 11, conduct your own research to see whether what you've heard is so. I gave you a plethora of scriptures. I challenge you to go look them up. Now, what I want to do in the balance of this episode is talk about those who have um, those heresies that deny the Trinity, which in essence denies the true nature of God. They're, they're, they go by different names, but they're pretty much the same thing. One's called monarchianism. One is called modalism and another one that's similar to it is called Sabalianism. All right, let's go with, um, let's start with monarchianism. I'm going to read part of an article I got off of this website that I 
that I've been frequenting for the last several years is called gotquestions.org. I, I believe it's a great one. To, it's a great reference to, and it's one that I would recommend you if you're trying to really, really enhance your Bible study, learn more about the faith, about about um, history, and about just a whole bunch of different things. They have answered on this website thousands upon thousands of questions. So at any rate, I'm going to read to you some of uh, what the um, what monarchy what, what monarchianism teaches. All right. The word monarchia means single rule. All right. And so I'm going to read part of this um, article, and it's it's titled "What is Modalism forward slash Modalistic Monarchianism?" Probably words you never heard before, but anyway says modalism and monarchianism are two false views of the nature of God and of Jesus Christ that appeared in the second and third centuries AD. A modalistic views of God as one person instead of three persons and believes that the father, son, and spirit are simply different modes or forms of the same divine person. Did you get that? What modalists believe is that God is one in essence and one in person, but he's but he has different modes at some at, at some point he is the father and then he switches modes to the son and then he switches another mode to the holy spirit in other words god is a quick change artist god has to go into his um quick change booth and then decides okay i don't want to be the father so i'm gonna be the son so in other words he's the same person but he's switching clothes if I could say it that way, that may sound kind of, kind of cavalier, but I think you get the idea. He, I mean, the modal, the modalist is a person who says that God is one in essence and one in person, not one in essence and three in persons. In other words, the modalist says God is not triune. He's not a Trinity. All right. That's basically what they're saying. All right. So let me keep reading. God can switch among three different manifestations. A monarchian believes in the unity of unity of God. The Latin word monarchia means, means single rule to the point that he denies God's triune nature. Remember, we're talking about the, the nature of God. Both modalism and monarchianism inevitably hold to the doctrine of patra. This is a tough word. Pertrapassianism. It's spelled P-A-T. R-I-P-A-S-S-I-A-N-I-S-M. Partrapassianism, the teaching that God the Father suffered on the cross. Listen to this. With or, or as the Son and are closely related to Sabellianism. I'll read a little bit more, then I'll stop. Monarchianism took two primary forms, dynamic or adopted, adoptionist monarchianism and modalistic monarchianism. Dynamic monarchianism started with an errant view of the nature of Jesus, specifically that he was not God, but was at his baptism empowered by God to do the wonders he did. Modalistic monarchianism, on the other hand, took the modalistic view that Jesus was God, but only by virtue of the fact that Jesus was one of God's manifestations. According to monarchianism, the Logos of God has no separate personal existence of its own. The biblical terms Father, Son, and Spirit are only different names for the same person, according to monarchianism. Let me break that down real quick. 
All right. So like I said, modal, modalists or modalism means that God appears in different modes. It's the same person, but a different mode. In other words, it's not three persons. It's one. And so what essence, what they're saying is that the father, the father is the son and the Holy Spirit and the son is the father and the Holy spirit and the Holy spirit is the father and the son. You see how schizophrenic that is. It's, it's utter confusion. And that is not what the Bible has ever taught. And I, and I prove that from scripture at Jesus baptism, Jesus was present. The Holy spirit was present and the father was present. I mean, you you heard it. He said his voice came out of heaven and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. God, ladies and gentlemen, is a trinity. If you if you want to deny that you have you have a hard time from Scripture trying to. To deny that clear reality, OK, so I gave you a brief history of modalistic monarchianism, like I said, a modalist is a person that believes that God appears in three modes and that he's not triune, that he's not three separate eternal persons. All right. Okay. Now, what happened is the Roman emperor Constantine in, I believe, 325, he, he, uh, he caused a council to come together. It was called the Council of Nicaea. All right. And in that council, they denounced modalism as a heresy and they also adopted the uh, the trinity as ter- as church doctrine at this council so modalism is denounced as a heresy but just for those who may be interested or or curious modalism still exists it you you primarily find it in the oneness churches modalism and not to uh, put the man on blast, but a person that a very well-known pastor, uh, Bishop T.D. Jakes, is a modalist. He believes in modalism. All right. So he doesn't believe in a triune God. He believes that God is one in essence, but also one in person, which, of course, denies the reality and the doctrine of the Trinity. Okay. The term, just for those who may be curious, the, the, word, the word Trinity was developed by a, a church father by the name of Tertullian, who lived from 160 to 225 AD. He invented the word to combat a man named Prazus. I don't know if I'm pronouncing his, his name right, but it's P-R-A-X-E-U-S. And Prazus promoted the monarchian heresy that I just read to you about a few moments ago. All right. So that is primarily all I wanted to say in regards to the Trinity. And I'm going to, along with this episode, I'm going to link my article that I did on the Trinity to this episode. And you can read that along with listening to this message. All right. That's all I had for this one today. Thank you for listening. I'll talk to you soon.